Well, I am, man, first and foremost, I'm overwhelmed just uh, by the amount of people that have shown up here. Um, and so I have no doubt, I have no doubt that this will be just a record night. And so I'm grateful for that. And uh, man, I'm grateful just to be able to bring tonight's message. So if you guys have noticed, I got some new swag on. It's uh, death to life. And uh, that's actually what we're going to be teaching on tonight is death to life. And so what kind of inspired this, I had somebody reach out um, about, hey, you're going to have new merchandise. And, and this is what I'd already come up with. And like, what does it mean? And so I explained it to him. I was like, you know what? If I'm not just going to put out a shirt, I mean, this has meaning behind it. I want to explain what I'm trying to convey here. Why is it important to convey the message of death to life? And so tonight, as I teach, we're going to have a key passage. It's going to be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by reading that, and then we're going to go break it down kind of piece by piece. And it's such a powerful message. It's such a powerful thing that God's given us. And so Ephesians is in your New Testament, and it was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus. And so Paul was this guy who used to be Saul, and he was somebody who knew a little something about going from death to life, because Paul, before Jesus, he murdered Christians. He hated what they called the way. He hated the Christians, and actually, he was in charge and actually got permission to go round up men, women, children, to drag them out of their homes, all for the crime of following Jesus. And so when we talk about Paul, he was somebody who was absolutely spiritually dead and lost. He was knowledgeable. He knew God's word, but he didn't know God's heart until he had an encounter with Jesus. And so on the road to Damascus, on his way to murder, to lock up people, Jesus confronts him, presents himself to him, and Paul has an encounter that was story-changing. And so in that moment, Paul could no longer deny who Jesus was. He could no longer deny that this was, in fact, the Son of God that came to redeem the people, the sins of this world, to set us free. Paul could no longer deny that. And in that moment, Paul, um, Saul, became Paul. He, he became a Christian. He was reborn, a new creation. And he went from death to life. And so later on, as he's writing, actually, most of our New Testament, including Ephesians, he was writing letters. And a lot of it was his testimony, things that got the way that God had touched him and transformed his life. And Paul's incredibly encouraging. And so I love Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By your very nature, you were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And so Paul begins to paint this picture. Without Christ, we all come from the same place. Without Christ, we are trapped in sins. That might be addiction. It could be any number of things, but we're powerless to confront the things, the tools that the enemy's using against us. I know in my own life, that was addiction. I struggled in it for 18 years and I couldn't get free until I had that same type of encounter with Jesus that Paul had. That may not be your story. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's the way that you are as a mother or a father, or a husband or a wife. Maybe you struggle in something. But the truth of the matter is this. Without Jesus, we all fall short. Without Jesus, we're all spiritually dead. Without Jesus, we're subject to the wrath of our flesh and following the commands of the enemy. There's nothing we can do. But Paul goes on in verses 4 and 6, but he says, but God. Say, but God. I love that, but God is good. He brings us from death to life. 
But God transforms us. But God saves us. But God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. Say life. He gave his life when he raised us from Christ, or raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Not your works, not your family, not where you come from, not anything that you've done, but the endless grace and mercy of God is what saves us, what brings us from that place of death to life. But God, so rich in mercy, saved us. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the, from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So we were dead, but God, rich in mercy, gave us life. I know for me personally, before having that relationship, not a religion, but a relationship, and knowing God, my father, God, my creator, I was dead. And so I want to challenge you tonight. You may be in here. I get this. And you may be skeptical. You may be in here and you're like, this is not for me. I'm here because somebody invited me. They said there was free burgers and hot dogs. I get it. That was our, that's on me. That, that was the plan to get you sucked in here. But, but it's for purpose. It's because I know this, that once I was you, once I didn't believe, once I thought I could do it on my own, once I thought the church was full of a bunch of hypocrites and I didn't want anything to do with this, and once somebody convinced me to be here and I had an encounter with Jesus like Paul had and I did go from death to life, I experienced his grace and mercy and I experienced transformation, but God showed up in my life and changed me. And so I hope that's what will happen to you. I didn't just serve pulled pork for no reason. It's to introduce you to something better. And so... He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us, seated us with him, seated us with him. God the Father, God the creator. It's such an incredible picture that he's painting, that he loves us, that he brings us in. We go from this separation, we're spiritually dead, to arms wide open in an embrace. And so we were dead, but God, rich in mercy, gave us life. We were obedient to the enemy, but God in his infinite grace set us free. I could not break the chains of my struggles on my own. You cannot fix your marriage on your own. You cannot fix your family on your own. You cannot change your life on your own. You need God and God's people. And so God, in his infinite grace, he set us free. We followed our godless desires. I can't tell you, begin to tell you, the things that I've done that, that make me want to feel guilt and shame. But, but God said, you know what? I'm going to forget that. As far as the east is from the west, I want to set you free. I want to lift you up. I want to make you a new creation, a new creature. Forget this and let's move forward. Clean slate, made right, made right. And so we followed our godless desires. This, that's what we call following the heart. I hate that. I really do. I probably shouldn't say hate. But anytime somebody's like, I'm just going to follow my heart. That's crap. Stop following your heart. That, that's, that's this, that's following the flesh. Don't do that. Follow God's desire for your life, what he wants for you. It is much, much better. And so, but God, he saved us. Verse seven says, so God, he did all this so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he's done for us who are united with Christ. And I love when I see that, I get, to, I get to look back at my life and the things that I don't deserve today. And, and I don't have them because of anything I've done. It's all God's grace, all God's mercy, all God's forgiveness, all that he's done. 
I have, I have a lovely wife who, who I just, man, I cherish. Not because of me. If you've met me, you know, man, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that, that she would be with me. But God in his infinite grace is like, man, Aaron, I'm going to be good to you. My kids, man, I, they fill my heart with so much joy. I don't deserve a single one. But God in his grace, he gives me that. I, to get to do this, I love what I get to do. And it's not because of me. It's not because of my ability. It's not because of who I am. It's because of who he is. And he does these things. He shows up because he's good. He's full of grace, full of mercy. So he can point towards us. Verses eight and 10, it said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It was a gift from God. Again, God saved you by his grace when you believed. That, that if you're in a struggle tonight in this moment, if there's something that, that you're holding on to, that you're having a hard time letting go of, I just want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. That, that if you would just give in to God, if you would humble yourself and pursue him and pursue what he has for you in every avenue in your life, he changes things. He brings us from death to life. May he redeems us. He lifts us up and says, God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so as you guys, man, as you see this shirt, as you think about the imagery of death to life, I want you to think about the good things God has done for you. And if God, if you haven't experienced it yet, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Give it a year. Pursue God for a year. What do you have to lose? I, I know the places that we're in without Christ. I know the misery. I know the hopeless feelings that we have when we're far from God. And so what do you have to lose but to lean into him for a year? Lean into him, pursue him, and allow him to bring your marriage from death to life. Allow him to bring your parental situation from death to life. Allow him to bring every area that you struggle with from death to life, because that's the promise of God. This isn't a shirt. It's not a logo. It's not a saying. It's something that, that's a promise from God that, that if, if we would just lean into him, he'll redeem us. He'll set us free. He'll lift us up. And so tonight, again, I want to I wanna break this up. I want to really dive into it. And so as we start, point number one is this. We are made alive in Christ. We are made alive in Christ. Again, we're dead before him. Spiritually dead. But God wakes us up. And so going back to Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, it said, But God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins. So something happens that, that in creation, in the beginning, Every man, every woman was born into a sin nature. That's come the fall from the very beginning in Genesis, Adam and Eve, and we struggle. The greatest example I can, I can give you of this is if kids are great. We love them. They're so innocent. Nobody has to teach a toddler how to be a jerk. I mean, it's true. Mine, they want to shove you, spit on you, take it from you. I mean, nobody had to teach my kids to misbehave. In fact, we spend all of our time and energy trying to get them to do the right thing. They're selfish. They're self-centered. I love my kids. But, but that's just what it is because we're just born that way. Sweet babies somehow turn out to be holy terrors because we're all born into it. We are dead outside of Christ. 
And we need to come into that relationship with him. We need to set free, to find freedom, to experience that grace, that mercy, so we can be made alive. It says, but God, so rich in mercy, he, gave, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And so there's this promise that, that, that God sent his son, God in a body, that, that, that's who Jesus is. And he was sent for a purpose, for a reason. And, and it wasn't to make a name for himself. It wasn't for popularity. It wasn't for any of those things. It was to set us free, God's creation, free from, from sin because we're trapped in it. There's no escape. There's no freedom to be found without a relationship with Jesus. That's what this recovery ministry is built around. It is that promise, that knowledge, that, that in order for us to succeed in life, no matter what it is we're facing, we have to experience God's grace. God's grace can only be experienced through God's son, Jesus, in the sacrifice. And so we were dead, but God in his grace and his mercy, he set us free through Christ Jesus. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And that happens when we begin to humble ourselves, when we accept him, submit, and we come into a relationship with him. When we call him Lord and recognize the authority that he is in our lives. And that's difficult. That's difficult because that means that if I'm in a real good argument with my wife, which happens from time to time, that sometimes in order for me to follow God's plan, I have to say that I'm sorry. I hate saying I'm sorry. It's hard. It's hard. That means when somebody cuts me off on the highway, that, that I can't run them into a ditch because Jesus is Lord of my life. And he says it's not okay to assault people. That, that we were called to live differently. We're called to live differently because we've made him Lord. We don't get to cherry pick God's word. We read it as a whole and, and we recognize the authority that it is in our life. And when we do that, we've, we've called him Lord. We've asked him into our heart. We've come into that relationship with him and we experience this life. And so he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And I just love that picture. But to prop this up a little bit more, I want to share with you guys from, from another book. It was written by Paul as well, and it's the book of Colossians. And it's going to start in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. And again, that's in your New Testament. Colossians, like Ephesians, was a letter, and they were both written by Paul. Paul was a real guy, historical figure. He was used by God. God's spirit indwelled him and gave him each and every word to write. And so even though this was a letter written by a man, it was inspired by God. These are God's words. And so in Colossians chapter three, verse one, it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, you see the similarities in there? You come into a relationship with him and it's new life. I love it. Since you've been raised to new life. You know what I love about that? I didn't like the old Aaron. I didn't like him very much. He had lots of problems, man, lots of issues. And the promise of God is I step into a relationship with him. I'm raised to new life. That, that I'm made right that the past is washed away. Unless you've got court cases, the judge doesn't see it that way. But you're raised to new life, raised to new life. With Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. So there's this call, we're raised to life, and when we've made him Lord, it pivots on this notion that now we've gotta recognize Jesus' authority. And so when we do that, we set our sights on the things of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor 
at God's right hand. And then it goes on, it said, think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. And so God's called us to this shift. If we're gonna be made alive in Christ, we've recognized who he is, and we begin to think about the things of God. Now, what that means is if you just show up on, on Sunday for an hour, Monday on an hour, and everything else you do does not resemble what a relationship with God should look like, you're missing the point. Is he really Lord? Is he really authority? And maybe you journey through that for several years and you say, you know what? This Christianity stuff, it just doesn't work. Jesus isn't real. And it's because you've given him two hours a week and you really haven't allowed him to be who he was meant to be in your life. And so set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. We were dead. We were dead in it, spiritually dead. We come into relationship with Christ and let the rest of it die. Set the rest of it down. For you died to this life and your real life, say real life. life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I know when I started making drastic changes, when I got this, I had so many people point at me and say, you hypocrite. I know who you are. I know who you are. I was 30 years old before it really clicked. That was just about five years ago, before I really started to live differently. And I I started screwing up when I was like eight. Like B&E, for those of you who aren't criminals, that's breaking and entering. Um, Eight years old, shoplifting, doing those things. And so by the time I'm 30, that's 22 years of dirtbag Aaron. And so when I made those shifts, like, that's not you. That's you back there. The one that gets arrested, the one that gets high, the one that gets drunk, the one that's a jerk, that's you. And you're going to face the same things. And you need to stand on this truth that you're dead to that life. This is your real life. That when you step into recovery, when you pursue change, that's your real life. This is your real life. This is your real life. Don't let the people keep you from what God has for you. Don't let them convince you that you're not good enough for change because this is your real life. This is your real life hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Put them to death. Leave them where they are. You ever heard the saying, let dead things lie? right? Man, it's not you anymore. So put to death the sinful things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. That the things that we've done, put them to death. Put them to death. Leave them there. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss anything. In fact, that's the thing that keeps dragging you back to where you're trying to come from. That's the thing that keeps disrupting your life, your recovery, your marriage, whatever it is. Put him to death. Find freedom in the things of God. He continues and he says, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's so much freedom to be found in a relationship with Jesus. We get to be made alive. There's a promise there. And then, In verses 8 and 10, he says, but now. Say, but now. But now. now. So as we're made alive, put to death these things, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have been stripped of your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. Say new nature. Put on your new nature and be rewarded or renewed as you learn 
to know your creator and become like him. And so as we're made alive, the last thing I want to point out about this is it's a process. It's a process. It's one that I'm still going through today. I still have things that I face and I struggle. And and the promise isn't, hey, you're going to raise your hand. You're going to live your life to Jesus. You're going to walk out here and everything's going to be perfect. You're never going to struggle again. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that that tomorrow can be better than today. Next week can be better than this week. Next month can be better than this month. And eventually you're going to get five five years down the road and you're going to wonder, how the heck did God get me here? What has he been doing? And it was just a building block at a time. And you put on your new nature created to be like God. And you grow in it as you get to know him. You continue to lean in. You keep showing up on Sunday. You keep showing up on Monday. You you use your Bible for more than a coaster and you open it up and you put your face in there and you read something. You grow in it and pursue it. And you're made alive in Christ. You're made alive in Christ in the things in your life that kept you held back for so long, for so many years. One day they're a non-issue. I can't even begin to express How many things in my life have changed? I'm not perfect. I struggle every day. But you know what? I like today's struggles way more than I like the struggles from 10 years ago. Man, I like these way more. And you know what? The people in my life like these struggles way more too. At least most of the time. My wife, she may disagree with you. But (laughs) we're made alive in Christ when we pursue him, when we pursue him. So that last part, again, it said, put on your new nature and be renewed. That's a process. Daily, hourly, second, whatever you need. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That's the goalpost. That you've got to know what he looked like. You've got to know who he was, but that's the goalpost. To be like Jesus. To love like Jesus. To care like Jesus. To forgive like Jesus. Treat your wife, your husband like Jesus would treat them. Talk to your children like he would talk to them. That, that, that's the goalpost. That's what we pursue. Put on your new nature and learn to be like your creator and pursue him. And when we do these things, we're made alive in Christ. Point number two as we continue is this. Our lives should be examples of God's grace. Our lives should be examples of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 7, part of our key passage, it said this. So God, like all of those things, so God can point to us in all future future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. And so he does these things. We're brought from death to life, not, not for you, but for him. That, that, so he can point to us. And, and he extends his grace and his mercy on us, but, but we're not the center of it. We get to experience it so he can raise us up as examples and point to us. I want to break that down for you. And and in doing so, I want to go to Matthew. Um, Matthew's New Testament gospel, first book of your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are your four books um, that are the gospels. The gospels tell about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector. He was called by Jesus. Like Paul had an incredible transformation, Matthew had an incredible transformation too. Matthew gave a very detailed account of Jesus' life and ministry. He knew him personally. It was an eyewitness account of who Jesus was. And so Matthew, Matthew 5, 13 is where we're gonna start. And it says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out 
and trampled underfoot as worthless. And so here Jesus, he's painting a picture of who we should be as we're saved and redeemed. And so that means you've come into relationship with him. You're now walking in that newness of life from death to life. You're that new creation, that new creature, right? God has saved you, child of God, Christian, whatever, Jesus follower, whatever you want to call it. But that's you. And who are you? You're the salt of the earth. And so Jesus is pointing this incredible picture. In his, his day and age, there's a couple of things about salt you should know. It wasn't just the thing that you threw on French fries that your doctor said was going to kill you, okay? Salt was valuable. It preserved things. It kept them fresh. And so when we talk about it being a preservative, I mean, as Christians, we're called to preserve the things of God. Like, we're, we're, we're called to preserve this and to keep it from outside influence, right? To keep it from being deteriorated, um, devalued, any of that. But salt was a preservative. It was incredibly valuable. So valuable, in fact, that sometimes Roman soldiers in that time were actually paid with salt. And that might blow your mind a little bit because you're like, man, if my boss paid me with salt, things might get physical. Um, but it was a valuable thing. And so Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth. Not only is salt a preservative, not only was it incredibly valuable, but it makes things better. If you've ever had those awful french fries without salt, you know how important salt is. Or if your doctor's ever said, hey, your heart can't handle all the sodium and you got to start watching it, man, things just aren't as good. And so we're called to make things better too, to be special, to be different, to be examples of God's grace and God's mercy in extraordinary ways. He continues and he says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. If you've ever been out in a dark, dark place and you begin to see lights, maybe you're driving, you're driving at night and, and you're like, man, gas light's coming on or man, I really could use a taquito from Quick Trip, any of those things. You know that when you begin to see city lights, what it does to your heart, right? It's just like, oh, that's safety. Man, that's something special there. I get, I get rest, I, I get something. I mean, it's a good thing. Like when we see that, You've ever been out in the woods and just need that light to even find where you're going. And so you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. When you have this light, this good thing that draws people in, that directs them, that guides them, you don't hide it. And we shouldn't hide what God's given us either. And it goes on and it says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you, think you're great, man, so you can just be the center of attention. No, no, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone, say everyone, so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. That when we talk about being brought from death to life, Again, we're not the center of that. It's hard to wrap our minds around. I get it. I like being the center of attention. I, I, like, I like those things, but it's not about me. The things that God did in my life, it comes down to it, it's not about me. It, it's about the others. It's about you. It's about people outside of this room. It's about our lives being a light that others can see. So when they're stuck in the same mess we were, the same bad relationships, the same trap, that they can say, he's got it. 
How'd you do it? And they want to pursue the same things that we have. And so when we talk about our recovery and talk about our change, it's not for us. It's for those yet to be saved. It's for those yet to be brought from death to life. And so we need to be salt of the earth. Our good deeds shine out, not so people will praise us, not so our name will be on their tongue, but so his will be. So they'll praise him and pursue him and seek him. It is our greatest, greatest calling. And it's my greatest joy to show what God's done so that you'll know how great he is. And it should be yours too. And so when we talk about our recovery, our lives should be example of God's grace so they'll wanna pursue the same thing that you have. Discover the same thing that you've discovered so you can help at least one person discover the kingdom of God so that they can be changed, so their stories can be changed, so they can do great things, so they can be light so they can impact somebody else. And so again, our lives should be examples of God's grace. Point number three, as we begin to wrap this up, it says this, we are saved for a purpose. We are saved for a purpose. God did not pluck you out of the depths of everything you were going through for you to do nothing and be nothing. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. Your life has value. The great lie before experiencing all this is we were meant for nothing. The world out there wants you to think that this is all an accident. We're living on a ball that's here by accident. We were created by accident, products of the cosmic lottery. And so our life has no value, has no meaning, has no purpose. But the truth of God's gospel, the word of God is this, we were saved for something great. You're not at the center of it, but it's great. And I love that as I've stepped into what he has for me, there's so much joy in setting down what I want to do and pursuing what he wants me to do. And so when we do that, I experience life. I experience joy. And you can too. And point number three, again, we were saved for a purpose. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Again, that salvation, what he does, we don't earn it. It's God's free gift to anyone who would call upon his name, who would call him Lord and pursue him. You can't take credit for him. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Say masterpiece. Masterpiece. I know me personally. When I think about the things that I've been through and things that I've come from, masterpiece was never an adjective that I would use to describe me. But that's who I am. Not because of me, not because of anything I've done. And I love that picture because I can never live up to that on my own. I could never be good enough to deserve what God has given me. I can never do enough to feel like I've earned anything, anything but God's grace. says you were saved, that you're God's masterpiece. As you come into that relationship with him, you're made right, you're renewed. You get to throw off those old labels that say you're not enough, that you'll never be anything, that you can't succeed, any of those things that are holding you back. And you get to look in the mirror and say, I'm God's masterpiece. I'm God's chosen, that he saved me for a purpose. It goes on. And he says this, he has created us anew in Christ. That, that's that transformation. That spiritually, internally, we're new creations. We're new creatures. The old is gone. 
A new has begun. That's God's promise. And so created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, say so. So So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That again, as we pursue Jesus, wherever you're at, wherever you're coming from, part of making him Lord is saying, I really want to do this, God, but I know that I want, you want me to do this. And, and we set down our will and we pursue his. And that could be in conflict. That could be from day-to-day life. But when we recognize that we're God's masterpiece, we need to recognize that he made us anew so that we could do the good things that he planned for us long ago. That he planned for us long ago that, that we were made for today. That you were created for this moment, that you were placed here for a reason. No matter what your past looks like, no matter what you've come from or what you've experienced, no matter how much the world has tried to tell you that you're worthless, that you're an accident or any of those things, you were created for right now, for right here to do something great to reach people for God, to help be that light in this world that points people to hope and draws them away from hopelessness, that points them to recovery and helps drag them out of addiction, to be an example of what a good husband or a good wife is so the people that don't know how to be married can look to you and say, man, is that how you're doing? Yeah, that's how God has called us to be for the good things that he's called us to. Romans, starting at 12.1, It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. And here, Romans, written by Paul again, he's saying, listen, God's done this. He's brought you from death to life. That's the thing, right? That's the thing, that's salvation. And so I plead with you, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done, because you were spiritually dead. And he made you alive because you were trapped in addiction and he set you free because you were stuck in adultery and you found freedom because of Jesus. No matter what it was, because of what he's done, give your bodies to him. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. That we recognize what he's done in our lives and we submit ourselves to him. And I know this concept, when I first encountered it, I've said this before, that I was still fairly lost and far from God. And I looked at Christians and I thought, man, their lives must suck. They don't get to have any fun. I mean, I can't do this. I can't do that. And it's not what it's about at all. That, that God's word tells us that, that if we come to him, the yoke that he has for us, it's light, that it's easy to bear, that, that in reality, the things that that cause that spiritual death in our life, they're so heavy, so overbearing that we can't even recognize it or realize it till we finally take it off and put on the burden of God. And we're like, this is light because he carries it all. And so because he's done these things, begin to pursue them. And so it says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't be afraid of what God has for you. Don't be hesitant. Lean into it, and I promise you, I guarantee you, that the load that you experience pursuing God is much lighter than the one you pursue on your own. And verse two, he says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And so here we get, we get this picture that as we lean into him, it's a process that as we continue to pursue God, he continues to transform and change us step by step, thought by thought, action by action. And then he says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. That, that, that's what we're pursuing here. That is, we're saved. That, that's the big deal. That's step one. Step two is not to go back to your life your way. Step two is not to go outside these doors and do everything you were doing anyways and then show up on a Sunday and Monday and act different for an hour. No, it's to submit to him in every area and learn to know God's will for you. And so, and learn to know God's will for you, which is good, say good. Good. And pleasing, say pleasing. Pleasing. And perfect, say perfect. Perfect. Isn't that incredible? That, That not only did God save us, but he saved us for a purpose. And that purpose is God's will. That will is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Very few things in my life can be described that way unless they've been submitted to God. Very few things in my life can be described that way unless they directly come from God. Because the things of this world, they're not good. They're not pleasing. They're not perfect. You can turn on the news for all of five seconds to discover that the world out there is a chaotic wreck. You can go on social media for all of five seconds and learn that nothing about that is good or pleasing or perfect. You can deal with the people at your child's school and think, man, that Karen is crazy. That's not good. That's not pleasing. That's not perfect. But as we submit to God, as we pursue him and pursue his will, as we know and understand and realize that we were saved for a purpose and we allow the burden of God to be put on us, which is light and easy to bear, we discover things that are good, that are pleasing, that are perfect. So my challenge to you tonight is to view this as more than a catchphrase, as more than a slogan, but as a promise from God. That as you set down your things and pick up his things, that you'll go from spiritual death to life, that you'll go from misery to joy, you'll go from captivity to freedom, and you'll experience something better today than you experienced yesterday, and keep pursuing him one step at a time. Don't get discouraged. Don't allow setbacks to set you back, but keep pressing forward and knowing that the promise of God is that as you lean into him, you'll go from death to life. You'll go from death to life. To recap tonight, point number one is we are made alive in Christ. We're spiritually dead outside of our relationship with him. And maybe, maybe you've been trapped in death for so long that you didn't realize that you could even live. And I wanna challenge you, if you're skeptical, just begin to lean into him. If you've fallen far from God, come back home. Lean into him and know that we are made alive in Christ. Number two, our lives should be examples of God's grace. Our lives should be examples of God's grace. That as God has done something for us, we are not saved by our works. We're not saved by our actions, but our works and actions should reflect what God has done internally. There should be something visible on the outside so that we can be salt so that we can be light. Again, our lives should be examples of God's grace. And number three, we are saved for a purpose. 
we are saved for a purpose, that the things that God has done in your life is not for you. I always hate that, that, man, my, my religious beliefs, they're, they're personal. My faith is personal. No, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared with everyone so you can impact the people around you. <clears throat> so a couple things as we're, as we're wrapping up tonight. Number one is this, that if you're in here tonight and you realize I have been dead for so long, I've been, I didn't even realize that there was something better, that, that I've heard of Jesus, but I didn't comprehend who he was, that, that I didn't realize that I needed a relationship with him, that I needed to make him Lord. If you're in here tonight and you realize that you've never done that, you've never made him Lord of your life, you've never experienced him that way, you've never allowed him to make you alive, that, that as we close tonight, I want to challenge you. That at the end of service, we're going to have some men and some women up here, and they would love to pray with you and for you so that you can accept Jesus tonight, so that you can go from death to life, so you can go into your tomorrow, a new creation, a new creature, and experience something different. And if you're in here tonight, maybe you've done that, maybe you've gotten off track, I want you to know this, that that happens from time to time. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we go back to our old ways. We got to remember that that transformation, it's a daily thing that we renew daily. And if we stop renewing daily, we can go back to who we were before. And maybe you need to recommit tonight. My same offer is for you to, to come up front here in just a moment and allow us to pray with you and for you so that you can recommit and reconnect with God. It's never too late to come home. Even if it's been five times, God will welcome you with open arms. And then maybe God's just been pressing something in your mind, in your heart tonight, and he's just been dinging you. Maybe you've got a good relationship with him, but there's something that you need to let go of. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's a, a source of pride, a stronghold, a roadblock. But you know tonight that God has said to you, it's time. It's time to let it go. It's time to give it to me. Stop carrying that weight. Take my burden upon you, which is light, and set that one at the foot of the cross and let me deal with it. I want to encourage you to come get one of our white chips. And a white chip, it's between you and God. It's between you and God, and you get to carry that. There's nothing special. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a reminder that every time you look at it, you can say, I've given that to Jesus. That's not mine to deal with. That's not mine to carry anymore. He has it. And you can write today's date on it. You can write down what it is, whatever you need, so that you know that's no longer mine, that's his. And then lastly, maybe you're in here tonight and, and you just need prayer. This is a house of prayer. Maybe you're ready to come before him and just submit to him. And you just need somebody to journey with you. We wanna be here for you tonight. This is one of the ways we do that. So if you're in here tonight and you just need somebody to embrace you and to pray with you, to cry with you, We'd love to do that. We're your family. We're here for you. Or if you just need to celebrate, you need to pray to God and praise him and say, thank you, God, for being so good to me. We would love to do that as well. And so for any of those things, to give your life to Jesus, to recommit, to pick up a white chip, or just to seek prayer, we want to encourage you just to come down front and join us. And, and if everyone else in this moment, if you would just stand to your feet as we close in worship. <clears throat>